athletes. Take your mark, get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. I want to thank everyone who's been downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. And thank you so much for jumping on and giving us a review. It helps tremendously when we get to go back and read your comments, see where we can strengthen or, or, or uh, increase the podcast. It does help. So please jump on and give us a review and let's see what we can do with this here podcast. I love getting the feedback and share this with anyone that may be struggling with any kind of addiction. It doesn't have to just be chemical dependency, alcoholism. It could be any forms of addiction. We found that addict to athletes erase and replace philosophy works for everyone. Athletes, I want to give a special thanks for everyone who's been participating in our Project Elf. Anyone who's donated and helped us uh, you know, provide Christmas for some of our, our teammates, I want to give you a very heartfelt thank you. It's been awesome to watch in this pandemic and in this environment how much love and support you guys have for one another. So thank you. And if you'd like, we have our new team store open. Jump on addictathlete.org. Drop shipping available. So if you get it now, you might get it sometime in January, right? Yeah. Nonetheless, athletes, I am excited today to talk to uh, a guy who kind of found us in the universe. It's through relationships and friendships that have been built over the over the years. And uh, it's awesome to hear a little bit about what he's doing. He has, from what I've gathered, an incredible story of, uh, of perseverance, of, of struggle, and then of uh, the comeback that we like to talk about here on Team Addict to Athlete. Uh, I want to give a, a special warm welcome to a man who I'm excited to get to know better because I think philosophies align quite well. I want to say hello to Brock Bevel. Say hi, Brock. Hey, man. Thank you for having me on. No, it's good, brother. It's good. And, you know, for, for those out there, um, you have just kind of started your, your you know, push for a podcast and some stuff because you have an incredible story from what I've heard. I talked to Gart, who is our, our partner in common, and uh, he was saying that you have an amazing story. And I went back and listened to a couple of your podcasts, and I, I'm, I'm very impressed with this, with this ability to have an experience, get kind of in that, that hard part in the middle and then to turn it into a message. And we talk about that a lot on Team Medic Athlete, turning your mess into a message. And I think you've done that. So would you mind just jumping in, telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your story? And we'll kind of take it from there because I think you're going to be able to help a lot of people with just what you've experienced. Yeah, no problem. You know, what's interesting is I, I probably like a lot of us, we, we started off normal, man. I have a beautiful family, mom and dad. There was eight brothers and sisters, came from a huge family right here in Arizona. You know, my, my parents, dual parenting, did a great job raising us. We, we learned right from wrong. And, you know, I had a chance to, to actually live out outside of the United States for two years, served a mission in Paraguay. Uh, just what a, what a cool experience for a young man, 19, you know, 19 years old to get to do that. I came back from my mission, played some college football, and uh, due to an injury, kind of stopped, fell in love with a young lady, got married, and um, started a career, became a police officer back in 1997. So that probably aged me a little bit. <laughs> you know, the beard, the beard definitely hides a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I got on with the police department early. And because I spoke Spanish, I had some amazing opportunities to move around. I worked in some specialty units in the police department and uh, just loved it. It was, uh, you know, what's interesting is, all of my life, I wanted to be a police officer. I know probably people say that, hey, I had this dream. But even when I was a little kid, I had a book, you know, when you're in like primary school, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a police officer, definitely didn't want to be a firefighter because I heard that they they drug hoses all day, you know? So I'm like, yeah. I want to go where the action's at. So uh, nice. And, I, and actually, my dad, 
we didn't know this till later in life. He was actually a police officer in Mesa. And it wasn't until I was snooping around, man. I was snooping around in the closet and I came across this bag that was covering these clothes. And I, I pulled the bag out and there was my dad's police uniform. Wow. You know, he, yeah. had, he had changed his career. He was now coaching high school football. He was teaching in the, in the, in high school. And it was a, it was a past career, but man, I remember the, the vibe I felt when I took that uniform out and he had that, the old hats and the old gear and the old badge. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You're just like mind blown. Like it's like, it's like finding Santa's, uh, you know, you know, uniform there. Right. It's like, what the heck? I was always worried because he get he would get mad, you know, for going through his stuff. It was in his closet, but I remember mm-hmm. I I tried that thing on four or five times, and wow. just uh, I just felt cool in it, you know. And so from that, I'm like, I want to be a police officer. So I mean, that was that was kind of kind of what happened, and it fell in my lap, you know. I kind of I I was lucky. Um, I would think I was at the right place at the right time. I put in there was. 500 and something office or men who were testing for seven or eight positions. Wow. I tested, I tested really well. I got lucky. Um, the first part was just the written test got through it and then automatically, you know, got through the physical fitness portion of it and, and got on in, in January nice. of 1997. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind That's of amazing, a, kind of a cool story. I think speaking Spanish living in Mesa was definitely a, a a, a help you know not sure. many white guys like me speak fluent spanish that's right so, so i could infiltrate it and that and you know was interesting that's where i kind of went with my career is i loved working the drug component you know i hmm. I, I hated robbery i hated traffic accidents molestations yeah. I, I didn't like that stuff but when it came down to arresting people for drugs i loved it Right. And, and and that was my vibe, you know, and, I, and, and going to specialty units, working undercover. I just, that was what I enjoyed doing. Do you, do you know why you were kind of drawn to that? I mean, what was it that kind of like made you think if, if I can put a stop to this man, put me on the front line, like what was it that was the, the, the appealing factor of working with, with that population specifically? You know, it was because I was so cut. I was, I was so straight laced. You know what I mean? Growing up and, and all of a sudden now I get to grow my hair out. I get to wear earrings. I have a huge goatee and I, you know, I, I I had a pager, you know, and I felt important and I felt, and I was working confidential informants and, and I just, it was the feel of it, you know, like you're making an impact. And, and I just got excited about living a completely different life. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, growing up in a, in a in a home and kind of in a lifestyle where it's very much the opposite. Even if you're, you know, if you're pretending, at least you're pretending in a good way because you're helping clean up the streets. And it makes perfect sense why that would be attractive. I, I completely understand. And you know, you, you when you're when you're in Mesa, I'm not sure what was what was the scene like that back then, like in in the early, late '90s, early 2000s. What was was it a was it a big you know kind of problem the the substance use going on down there? Massive, massive, you know. And it's I mean I don't think it's any worse or any better. I think drugs are always have been available. Yeah. And I remember I kind of grew some disdain for drug addicts. Right. You know, I, I saw what drugs and alcohol 
was doing to families and children. You know, you go pick up enough traffic accidents and DUIs and, and you see people dying from it and yeah. protest deaths from the accidents because someone was making bad decisions and drinking and driving. And so this just grew in my head like, hey, I need to, I need to do more. I need yeah. to, I need, you know, there's got to be something different. Yeah. I mean, you take it personally. I mean, I, I, how could you not? Right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And, and then when you see the, you know, the, the method behind the madness and you start saying, okay, I, if I get to that person, I can maybe shake it out of them. I can see kind of like wanting to go bigger, better, faster, stronger to do it as fast as possible. It makes, makes perfect sense, brother. I, I get it. Yeah. That, and that's where I was at. I was fueled by it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what's crazy was I was really good at, it. I was really good at speaking. I could, I could yeah. get to their level and, and I could talk them out, talk it out of their pockets. And you know, yeah, it, it was, it was interesting. It was almost, and I'm sure everyone else watching you do this, like your, 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 your colleagues and whatnot, they're like, good grief. You, you, you got, you got a, you got an angle in this. I'm sure they were kind of like astounded by, by your ability, your charisma, just your, your, your drive to get this done. I, I think we, yeah, the team that I was on and kind of, and kind of that's what led when we get into the addiction part, mm-hmm. um, the team that I was on, I, I, it was an amazing group of individuals and we took care of ourselves. And, and I think that group grew kind of bigger than life. And so when I go home, I was bored. Yeah. I was bored at home. You know, I had beautiful children, a wife and, and I'm looking around going, I need to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm wasting time. I got to get out here and do something. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it makes sense. How long, how long did the, uh, did the, the, the mindset, you know, and the, the drive last for, I mean, how long were you kind of in the thick of things there? I was on the department for seven years. Okay. And so it was, it was probably the last five years of my career that I really enjoyed it to that level. Where did you start feeling the tipping point? I mean, was there anything that was super noticeable? There's, I, I work with a lot of clients and I'm like, there was always that one time where you kind of thought to yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing, you know, extremes here. Then you cross over and it's the first experience with the substance. And then it's the, then it's the, you know, the secrecy. And then it's the, you know, the, the, the falling down. What was kind of the angle that started to pivot your, your, your life? I mean, what, did you, did you feel like a, a, a slow oncoming? Was it a slow burn or did it just bam? No, you know, what happened with me was there was, there was two, two incidents specifically in uh, one was a shooting that I was involved in. It was uh, where I took a man's life. He was under the influence of alcohol and uh, some drugs. I can't, I can't remember all the details, but there was a, there was a, an enforcement a DUI enforcement during the holidays of Christmas back in like, man, 2001, I believe. And a pursuit happened. He took off from the police and, and we got involved. And I remember a traffic stop ensued. He jumped out of his truck and we did every, I mean, we did everything perfectly. You know, I mean, I'm sure yeah. everybody says that, but by the use of force continuum by the law, we did everything we could to, to save this man's life. We, we pepper sprayed him, bean bagged him, the canine bit him, everything. We tased him, you know, it, it wasn't it was, happening, huh? It wasn't happening. He was mm. just so intoxicated, got back into his truck, threw that thing in the drive and, and tried to run us over. So at that point in time, I had to shoot through the windshield and, and take his life. And I remember I was super, I was super angry and pissed off about it. Yeah. Because I'm like, here we are two days after Christmas. And I just had to take a man's life. Yeah. 
and it was hard, man, because I was like, what, what, what is it about this alcohol and drugs that yeah. was so prevalent? It, it, it makes sense, though, brother. And thank you for being so candid about it, because that's the thing, right, is you hear about the, the fight or flight, right? And, and it's kind of like, yeah, the fight or flight. But then it's like, you know, when, when you know you can't go anywhere, you have to fight all that adrenaline, all that stuff. It has to be channeled somewhere. It's not going to be. You know, you know, lily pads and roses. It's going to be anger and frustration. And I think a lot of us don't th- don't remember, don't 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 think about that because they're like, oh, there's always another way. Not really. I was talking to my kids about this yesterday, man. We were talking about how like this fight or flight thing, and it was funny because I was working in in uh, in you know government you know, addiction rehab, and uh, I come down the stairs one day and I walk in, and I'm very kind of like upfront, kind of like you know, in your face therapist when I have to be. And it didn't didn't rub a lot of people the right way. But I come walking out of the, of the parking garage, and I mean, to me, my coworker was hiding behind one of the pillars. And as I walked by, he came up behind me and said, "It's over." And I'm like, "And I, I dude, I just went like a noodle." I'm like, "Well, I guess I'm dead," you know. And it was kind of funny because I'm like, "You guys, you don't know until you're there." I like to think that I'm this big tough guy, turn around and start swinging. I'm like, "But it wasn't. I was like a noodle." And so hearing that too of like where does that go because you you can't run you can't you fight or flight like you're gonna fight and that's gonna go somewhere so that went to anger like why why are you being so stupid person why why did you make this happen and i is that kind of the seed that was planted then yeah you know and and at that point in time there came a little psychology i was i wanted to know more about it Mm. that makes sense and and let's fast forward a couple of months. We were going through depositions. And I remember I got called in to do a depot with my attorney, his attorney, his mom, his dad, and his sister. Okay. Mm-hmm. So picture it. We're on a round table room and Man. they're asking me questions about the, the shooting and what the scene was like and what, what, I mean, everything. Was it dark? Was it light? What color car was he driving? What hand did he have the, you know, I mean, and the mom at the end off record said, hey, officer, can I can I ask you a question? And my attorney's like, hey, I don't you know, I don't advise you to talk to her. And I was like, you know, I'm a parent. And, I, and if it's something that I could help her get through, I would love to hear it and, and answer her candidly. Right. And she asked me, she goes, if you had a chance to do it all over again, would you kill my son? Ooh. yeah. Right. And. And I, I didn't, I didn't answer her, you know, right away. And I, I wanted to think about it and I wanted to put it the right way. And I said, you know what? I, I absolutely would because of the situation. My job is to protect myself and my people, my team. Right. And he put himself in a bad position, which in addiction, we all did. Right. For sure. We just got lucky and got out of it, man. For sure. And so that was, for me was hard. And uh, I remember that, I mean, even still today, man, there, it still rings like, should I have answered it that way? Should I have been so candid? But it was truth. It was real. It was real. It, it was real. And you know what? I think the thing that I want listeners to kind of take a, a little bit of a, maybe a pause in is, is that pause where you didn't just off the cuff respond to that because that, that is a very deep question. And if you would have just rattled off that, well, absolutely. Well, then it wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't have landed right. You know that. I think that you're, your, your, your pause for a sec. I think, uh, you know, athletes, you know, people out there using, please take a time to think for just a second before you respond to whatever's before you. And so I don't know, man, not, there's not a lot of people that have ever had those questions asked to them. There's no way. I mean, that's just not something that comes along with, you know, 
a normal job. So it probably set pretty deep in there. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an easy question to answer. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it still it still rings in my mind, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so you asked me kind of what what the, what the tipping point was. Yeah. Uh, a couple months later, the next year, uh, in February, we were working some confidential informants. My partner and I were working in in an area where was predominantly drugs being sold and we were working with one of our local prostitutes and you know prostitutes know all the information right they're they're yeah. on the streets Makes every sense. day they mm-hmm. know where to get the drugs they know who to talk to and this one actually kind of approached us and in lieu of an exchange for taking her to jail for an outstanding warrant she goes hey if i give you some some information will you follow up on it right so it was actually a concern to her and basically, in a nutshell, she told us, hey, in the next 30 minutes, a truck is going to be driven by a woman and she has her 12-year-old daughter in the car, with, in the truck with her, and she's going to arrive at this location at this time and a drug deal is going to go down and she's going to trade her daughter, the 12-year-old daughter, for sex wow. for drugs. So we're like, okay, if this pans out, you know, we'll give you an opportunity to skate on that one. Right. You know? And so, but as a parent, you know, as a father, it was hard to hear this. I'm like, man, who, what kind of person would prostitute their 12 year old daughter out to some dude in exchange for drugs? Right. You know, so that you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah. I get you. I, I didn't understand it, man. And like, as a parent, you're thinking, damn dude, would I, I would never, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but <clears throat> and it happened. Truck pulls up, drug dealer comes up to the passenger side, and a conversation goes. We come up and we scoop in and we uh, we interdict the 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 exchange. You know, yeah. and what happened was the for some reason the biggest error we made as police officers and and this is kind of a, I'm giving you a little insight is for some reason. And I was the contact on the driver. I didn't have her turn the truck off. I don't know why, what was going on in my head, but I did not have her turn the truck off. Right. But I looked down in her floorboard and I could see some, I could see some drug paraphernalia and a vial and it looked like steroids you know, and I'm like, man, what is that? And so I had my partner come around and I had him look and I, I told him, Hey, we're going to, we're going to 15 or which means in, in code is, Hey, we're going to arrest this lady. Right. Right. So he comes around, starts talking to me. He goes, Hey, can I have your, can I have your name? And can I have your license? And she said, F this. Hmm. And she threw that thing in reverse. And the way he was standing, he got his left foot caught under the front tire. Right. He falls down and she runs over his back. Oh my so she gosh. runs him over and I'm on the, I'm on the back tire. And when she goes to move, my right foot gets caught under the tire. So I go to get out of the way and, and my ankle snaps. And then I go to plant to catch myself and she runs over my leg. Oh my right? gosh, man. And yeah. And crazy is she reversed back. She got stuck. Her two tires got hooked in a median kind of like that. Yeah. And, and she got wedged in there, man. It couldn't go. And finally she threw it in, in park and, and gave up. And so 
I was angry again. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, what is going sure. on? And, yeah. and plus the, the, you know, the, the excruciating amount of pain that I was going through. But you asked what led up to what led up to it. And it was, it was these two incidents mainly. Right. And going into my doctor, starting surgeries. And he looked at me and said, you're a police officer. You're never going to get hooked on drugs. You're never going to get hooked on these pills. Okay. And so in my mind, right. I'm yeah. not that person. I'm not for the guy sure. That I shot. I'm not this lady prostituting her daughter. I'm not a drug addict. I've seen drug addicts. I've seen crack houses. Yep. I've arrested thousands of them. It is not me. Not you. Yeah. You don't, you don't fit the mold. Yeah. Nope. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a clean cut cop. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it wasn't me, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, man, the, the the tipping point was the day I walk into the police station to do an uh, an uh, evaluation, and they tell me they're going to medically retire me. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I don't know for most people, but that was a huge, huge blow to me as a person. Of course. It, well, it's your was, whole dream. It's your whole life. It's your, it's your sitting home thinking I got to be back out there. It's everything. It's your identity. I mean, it's, it's it, everything. It was, man. I, I would show up to any party, a friend's house, any Christmas, and everybody wanted to chat with me. Yeah. They all wanted to know the stories, what was going on. And without that blue, who was I, man? It, exactly, man. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I mean, so, your identity is a big part of this. That's why on Team Addict Athlete, we say we're not talking about the addict anymore. That identity is dead. Now you're turning into an athlete. Now you're turning into a father and a brother and a son and a, and a scholar. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, but when we have one paradigm that we live our life wholeheartedly in, when that's taken away, I mean, it's the same as if you were a, I talked to Max Hall, you know, right? football oh, yeah. player. And, and the same thing, he's like, when, when I got injured and I couldn't play anymore, I'm like, well, well, who am I without this? I mean, it happens so, so frequently, but you don't think about the subtle things like, like, like a career, you think about the sports heroes, but like, yeah, common guys, common people, when their identity is taken away, what happens? Right. You know, when I noticed my identity was taken away was when I had to turn my keys in. Mm. So the next day after they retire, you know, they, they say, hey, come bring all your, your, your supplies back. Did you know this was coming or was it just like a, a sucker punch? Like, no, did you... I, I knew it was coming. There was some time coming after the injury that my doctor's like, man, you're just not, you're not healing like you should. And actually you're kind of a liability. Mm. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you're a liability and it, what happens if you have to fight against, or you have to go in a foot pursuit and you have to jump a fence and, and land, how stable is your knee? Yeah. And we're all not like Johnny Utah when he's chasing down the bad guys and his knee gets hurt. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And, so, and, and that was kind of a blow. I'm like, wait a minute, man. I, I'm a college football player. <laughs> yeah. I'm an athlete, man. Uh -huh. You know, and I, I, I work hard to, to stay in shape and, and so all these things were leading to just a freaking disaster. Right. You know? It is the, the whole recipe. I get you. And so I turned my keys in and then here's the deal, man, you go home and you're retired and you're sitting there looking around going now what now what? So you go <laughs> from this high speed job where you loved 
and you were an adrenaline seeker, right? And you just were having fun and you had an amazing group of people. Yeah. And that's what's so important. And I know that you and, and your uh, addict to athlete you talk about is you got to create that team, man. Yes. Right. You got to go to battle for people. And that's what we are doing. Like life yeah. or death every day battling for these guys. And then guess what? I can't even walk into the police station to go see them. Yeah. I had no yeah. keys. So if I wanted to see them, I had to go to the secretary and get buzzed in. I had to wait in the waiting room like everybody. I'm like, wait a minute. Yesterday I was a cop and today I got to wait in the waiting room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it was, it was psychological, man. And from there I just, I spiraled, spiraled. That makes a lot of sense. Tell me about your family system throughout this as your kids and and your wife and stuff. Cause I know that there's, there's that support there, but then it's like, it's not the kind that you, that you need. It's like, you know, you, you, you love that they're there and you appreciate that they're there and you love them, but it's something very different, isn't it? It's a, it's a very different kind of need and, and want that they, that they can't feel. And I think sometimes um, even when people are coming out of addictions and they start to change, a lot of times people want their families to change. They want their loved one to change. They go to rehab, they do this stuff, but then they come home and they have all these opinions and these thoughts and these new beliefs. And they're like, where'd you get that? I wanted you to stop using. I didn't want you to change everything about yeah. you. But is that the right. same kind of thing? It's like, you know, it's like, did they, did they understand the magnitude? Did they feel the, you know, the change? I mean, cause I'm sure your wife was like, I would rather you not be a cop because of all the craziness that goes down. But like, you know, what happens? Well, I mean, with the, with the wife, she saw it coming. She, mm-hmm. her and I were kind of, because of the job, because of the way I was becoming in my addiction. She didn't, the crazy part is this, ma'am. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that I was on drugs. Nobody no. knew that I was abusing my opioids. And the reason was, is because I lived that lifestyle. I knew how mm-hmm. to mask it. I knew how to talk. I knew what to say to you. You know, and and so much so, check this out. This is kind of a funny side story was when I worked undercover, I didn't know what AA was. I didn't know anything about 12 steps. But a buddy of mine talked to me and said, hey, man, like when you're working undercover, you need a cover story. They're going to ask you to use dope with them or they're going to. And so uh, he gave me some some one year, 12 months three month chips. Uh-huh. Right. And I remember in this one specific case, they asked me, Hey, you, you know, you got to use. And I said, listen, man, um, I need it financially. I'm a reco- I'm actually in recovery. And uh-huh. I pulled out my chip and put it on the table, put it out there and laid it down. And the dude's like, I get it, man. I get it. Wow. I get where you're at. And he, so he didn't make me use because he knew I was in recovery and I, you know what I mean? I wasn't even in recovery. And so like I was living this fictitious life the whole time. Right. So, so my family life was, was bad. Uh, It was, it was a demise. My kids and, and that was, was good. I I was a good dad, but I was a terrible husband. Right. I was terrible. Yeah. Well, again, the, the, I I think that the, the motivations are different, right? I mean, your wife wants you to be that father and to be that husband and to be that, you know, you know that, that spiritual leader. Um, yet you feel like you have another job. I mean, to, to, the secret identity to a certain degree. I mean, she knew you, you what kind of hero and superhero you were, but like she didn't realize how how important it was. But I, I get it, and it does. It has to because 
there are certain things that when you come home, you want to talk about and things that you don't. And it was kind of funny. I remember early in my career working with uh, in, in you know, therapy and whatnot, come out, hear these horrible stories and it'd just be emotionally painful. And I'd come home and Marissa would be like, Hey blue, you gotta, you gotta hear what I, what I heard on TV today. And like on one of these shows. And I'm like, I don't want to hear it. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. I, I'm like, please, if it's anything bad, I can't, hear even now, even still, I'm just like, if it's if this movie, is, is leaning towards the dog dying. I'm out. I'm not I'm watching out. it. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. So I get that it's, it's true, but it happens. How, how deep did it go? I'm assuming from the way you're talking, it was, it was over the cat. It was medication. It was pills and whatnot. Correct. Is that yeah, what it was? It was all opioids, man. But you know, you said at the beginning of the podcast that addiction is not just drugs or alcohol related. Yeah. My, my addiction was also my fuel for, um, just to get that rush back. Yeah. So I started making, I started making some really, really bad decisions in my life by trying to drum up entertainment and excitement. Right. So my, my opioid addiction was also being fueled by a pornography and a sex addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so those right. two kind of went hand in hand and fueling. And at the time, it kind of met that adrenaline rush at the top. Right. So I yeah. made decisions and it cost me my marriage. Mm-hmm. It cost me my marriage. So my, my wife and I at the time, we divorced and, and, and not having the kids in my life was probably just a continual recipe for disaster. You know, it's interesting because I, and I, and I say this and it's, it's amazing to get the other side of the perspective because for different reasons, um, this scenario happened to you. I, I, I speak a lot about when I work with clients and the, the, the division of family services comes in and, and, and removes children because of the unsafe environment, maybe the substance use, what have you. And I said, and, and, you know, at first they always say, well, my kids were taken. And I'm like, no, no, they weren't. Um, you surrendered them. And they don't like that. They don't like hearing that because then that kind of puts that stewardship of responsibility in their lap. But when I say that, I'm like, but you know what? I said, I want to know something. How hard was it that first night when you were going to bed and there was no noise in the house? Mm. And I, I start going for that heart, right? And then they start getting real like, oh my gosh, you know, as hard as it was, I missed that. Brother, I don't know how hard that was for you, you know, knowing that like what you felt was you're very different. But in all, you know, in all practicality, it was exactly the same. When all that started to happen, when everything started being taken from you, um, what would life turn into? Did you go, did you go deeper? Did you, did, I did, did you have a wake man. up call? What happened? You know what? I had a wake up a call after 10 years of it. You okay, know, so you had, you had a long time then in the, in the dark. I did. And, and, you know, I'd come out of it and I'd go back in it and my addiction was weird or, or, or different than most people because I didn't ever have to go buy it. I didn't have to go on the streets and seek for it. So that justification, like, Hey dude, you're not a drug user. You're not like those dregs that you arrested on the streets, but I started becoming one. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I was in a, a position financially. I'm living off retirement. I have all these pills. I had so many pills that I didn't need that many. Even in, in my days when I'm using a plot, you know, a ton of pills, um, I still had an excess. Right. Because it was back in the day. I had three different doctors and they would send me home with those huge pill bottles. Right. 
And so I'm coming home with 400, 500 pills. And hmm. so I start taking my pills and I have a good buddy of mine who uh, still friends with today. And uh, he would take them down, sell them and bring me back money, cash money for it. So right. that was like, I'm like, oh, okay. And I don't realize here I am, man. I was living that life as an undercover cop. And now I'm dealing dope to my best friend. Right. So at what point did you realize, oh my gosh, I'm an addict. Uh, I knew it was coming. I could feel it coming. I, I, my life was, uh, was just getting to be a disaster. But the, the turning point for me, the tipping point was I walk into my bathroom and open my cupboard up to get some, some opioids. And uh, there's all my pill bottles. And my pill mm -hmm. bottles are perfectly placed. I know how many I have. And uh, it, it makes me, it, it kind of freaks me out, right? And I shut, the, I shut the door and the mirror is shining in my room. And I'm looking in my room and I'm like, you're living in a crack house, dude. Oh man. Where you're, st you have, you're in a crack house. Look at this. I mean, and my room was a disaster, disaster. Yeah. Polar pop. I mean, just, just crap everywhere, clothes everywhere. And I'm like, dude, you're an addict, right? You're exactly what you did not want to become. And that was, this is where one of my biggest mistakes happened. This is what I don't recommend to other people. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a, I'm a like right now, let's, let's beat some stuff up kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So I opened that cabinet up, opened up every single pill bottle, dumped them all in the trash can and then flushed them. Um, and then I'm like, what did you, know, you just do? Reality kicks in. You're like, I, Oh, kicks, my I'm gosh. out. I have yeah. no pills. I've been using for 10 years. Um, I just gotten a refill from the doctor. How do I go down and say, Hey doc, I, uh, I lost my pills. I'm out of pills. What do you do? And I'm just like, here we go, man. This is it. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is, this is the time and you're going to do it. What did it feel like? Do you remember what it felt like making the decision? Like I'm done and just taking it all. And then the fear kicks in, obviously, but like, what was that power? What did it feel like when you're like, what in the world am I doing? Dude, I was empowered. Like I had just climbed Camp, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. And then yeah. I felt like I got kicked between the legs. Like, like it was that, it was that polar opposite. You know what I mean? Speaking and the truth. Yeah. And I had mm -hmm. seen people detox and I, and I believe in my mind. That's why I never wanted to come off opioids. Cause I didn't yeah. want to detox, man. I didn't want that pain, exactly. but I'm like, and I'm a tough guy mentally, you know, I went through, I mean, playing football, going through the police academy, being run over. I'm like, Hey, you got this. No, you don't. No, you don't. And that's yeah. what I, I don't recommend. I would, I mean, that medically assisted uh, detox is not, not a bad thing, but I also feel like you need to fill it. You need to go you. through it. I, I hear you. There's, there's a lot less, I think, uh, returning to you know, the front stage of addiction when you felt every minute and every second of that. I, I get it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and I promise you, one of the main reasons I would never touch an opioid again is because I'm scared of that detox. For sure. Yeah. Scared. I've, I've watched people go through it. I've seen them. It's, it's, it's a living hell. And you're right. I mean, for some, you know, I mean, 
it's, it's so interesting. This is why a one shoe fits all approach doesn't work for anybody, you know, no. and that's why I'm, 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 you're the first one that I've interviewed in a long time, maybe even on this podcast that has said that, that although that the, the medication and whatnot was there, you chose a different path because you're like, if I was all the way in, I got to get all the way out. And that's a, that's a big step, man. That's a big step. And dangerous too because you could have been like oh, i can't yeah. hack it what do you attribute um your focus being to like be able to to manage that and to get through it like what where were your eyes focused it was god it was god blue i i Brilliant. i um i always went back to him man i have a I, i've always had a good relationship with him and i and i said you know, if I can get through this, it's going to be by, it's going to be us. We're going to get through this. Yeah. And what was interesting was day three, I'm in my bathroom. I'm walking up and down. I'm, I'm trying to get my, as much water as I can. I mean, I understand like you need to eat and stuff like that. And after urinating myself and pooping on myself and throwing up everywhere day three, I'm like, okay, God, here I'm going to make this deal with you. If you let me walk out of here, I'm not touching opiates again. Right. Mm -hmm. And what was funny was it was at that time that I knew it was real because I heard and now I could have been hallucinating or it could have been it could have been God. And, and but I heard him say to me, you're not even close. Huh? You, you haven't begun, because if I let you walk out of here, you're going to go right back to it because you've done that to me before. You've made these hollow requests Hey, if you just get me through it, if you let me show up at my daughter's birthday party, if you, you know, all these things, these deals that I always broke, um, he, I heard him laugh. He's like, no, you're not even close. Yeah. And, you know, you asked me if I remember how it felt. I, 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 that's the problem is I do. I remember throwing up so much that I felt like my bones, like if I kept throwing up, my bones were going to break. They were so brittle. That's, that's how they felt. Uh, and you know, you're dry heaving and you can't get nothing out and you're just choking man. on it. Yeah. You know, I had Absolutely. nothing, man. And, and here was the sad part, Bloom. Nobody came to save me. Oh man. Alone. I was alone, man. I had no friends. I had pissed off my family. I had no, you know, and I was so secretive man in my addiction that nobody knew. Even if, even if, they had a hint they wouldn't have checked on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was I was going through this 100% with God. That He and I were on, on a course, <laughs> you know? That's amazing. And uh, it, was, it was day seven. It was day seven, and I'm in the shower, and I'm just, I honestly, in my head, I'm like, I, I can't, I can't go another second. Like, this is real stuff, man. I'm going to die here. Start thinking, family, you start thinking, is this ever going to end? Like, is this just the way it's going to be? I yeah. really honestly believe that that was my last day on earth. Like, cause I just didn't know if I could take anymore. And, and that was the time that I'm like, I realized day three, what he was talking about. I wasn't humble. I wasn't ready. You know, I was doing it because I was in pain at this point in time. I was doing it because I've been humbled. Right. And I understood and I just said, hey, if you'll give me the power to get up and walk out of the shower, if you give me the power to go and just do my thing, I'll commit to you right now that I'll never go back and touch an opiate again. I'll just, I'm just done. I, I get it. I see where you're at. I see the relationship we have. And it was right then, man, that I, I felt it. It was an immediate power. 
it was an immediate fuel that went in my body. And, and I'm sure medically I was pretty jacked up, but I know God is powerful, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's powerful. And, and that was my redemption story is, is people ask me how I got sober. God got me sober. God got me through it. You and know, literally on the seventh day, <laughs> seventh day, man, got up and walked out of that bathroom. And, and you know what? It's a coincidence, brother. It is a coincidence. And I haven't gone back and I haven't touched it. And I, and I, even if I, I still have to get some surgeries later in life, get some knee replacements, but I'm not going back. I won't, I won't use it, man. There's, there's other means that we can do now that you don't need to go and get opioids again. And so yeah. I, I need to fulfill that bargain that I made with him on that day. Well, I, I, and this is a cool thing too, that I, I love working in addiction and I've done it for 20, 20 plus years now. And so I've seen patterns and all this kind of stuff. And I see that the people that typically use substances of choice, they're, they're mimicking things they're trying to suppress. So obviously there was pain that you were dealing with. It wasn't just physical, although it was there, there was a lot more pain. And when you surrender to the pain and, and allow it to just flow through you and allow yourself to heal without re-injuring yourself through the addiction, through keep on using, um, the, the injury, the place of break, it gets stronger. I was talking to a guy once who said, you know what, you see these scars, you know, and he's, he's like, these scars, will, they'll, they'll, they'll always hurt. I'm like, you're full of crap, man. I got scars all over my body. And when I look at them, I can remember the pain. But if I touch them, they're almost kind of numb. I don't feel them at all. But then I can go about my rest of my day and forget they're there again. But every time I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that really hurt. I think that's how our hearts are through this kind of stuff. And so you start healing the pain. You start finding that you get to those core issues, those things that create the addiction in the first place. You know, the abandonment you felt from, from the loss of the job, from the loss of the people, the team, everything. That abandonment, that hurts. Yeah. You know, in the middle of your addiction, when you feel like you think you've been abandoned by God, that hurts. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, um, you know, again, that's why we have I'm backwards here. That's why we have Roman numeral two over here. We use the Roman numeral two because of that very specific purpose and reason it's, it's at your lowest, you know, the Roman numeral systems they don't recognize zero at all. If you, if there's no, there's nothing less than one. And so the cool thing about that is, um, as long as you have yourself, one, and something else, too, you can build on the platform. It's foundation, you know, mm. you and God. Look at what you've been able to create. Look at what you've been able to build now. How was the comeback story? Because I'm sure everyone kind of looked at you through the side eye, like, are you serious? Like, you know, you, you're a drug addict. Come on. Well, that that's the cool Come part is, is really new. nobody knew I was a drug addict. Ah, does that, does that make sense? Like really undercover nobody... agent, undercover addict, huh? I, I really was, man. I was able to mask it and, and be once my wife left, then it was, it was free game to use. Mm -hmm. I did. I tried not to carry on any long-term relationships so they could find it. I was getting supplied the drug. So I, I never had to like, it was a, an internal battle. And when you say the pain, I can handle the physical pain all day. Sure. Being run over. I would be, I would rather be run over a hundred times than go through an opiate withdrawal again. Right. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> because it, like you say that, that pain of, of losing my team, that depression, that sadness and sorrow and, and guilt of the hard part for me was knowing right from wrong and, and having a spiritual base and every day breaking those spiritual vows that I had. Yeah. Like for me, that was the hardest part, man, is I, I felt like I was somebody that I wasn't. Right. 
So you know, Brock, I, I hear you. And, and the thing I want to get back to then is, and I'll get emotional. I'm a crybaby. I don't know about you, but I'm a crybaby. But, but I'm hearing what you're saying. And I keep going back to that time that you judged an addict. And then you looked at yourself in the mirror and you were an addict. And I'm wondering what God wanted you to learn, what, what, what the universe needed you to know um, to say, oh, yeah, well, let me show you something. And then, boom, life hits you. What's the why here? Why? Why, why the career? Why the, why the incidents? Why, why all of this stuff to put you here now? What's the why in all this? Man, it's, it, you know, that I love that question. What a cool question. And I'm emotional too. I get, I, I mean, we get to help, we get to help guys because of what we went through. Yep. If, if you don't go through it, it's hard to have empathy. Yeah. And it's hard to have hope. You know, and so for me going through that and, and being at such a high level, of, you know, and then seeing people at such a low level and realizing that's where I was at, is it is it humbled me and it created a Christ-like feeling in my life to where that understanding of how low people can get and, and where addiction can take you. So for me, it, it was that opportunity that I had to go through so I can be um, a voice to other people. Yeah. You know, that I can, I can look at you and say, Hey man, I, I know what you're going through, you know? And, and, and you don't, I mean, I know in addiction recovery, I don't know every single feeling, but I know what guilt and shame and hurt and sorrow and pleasure. I know all those emotions. Yeah. And so it makes me, it makes me um, approachable. See, and, and there's the ticket right there, because what you're saying is, and for the life of me, I, I'll have a hard time wrapping my head around that too, but well, why would a mother take her 12-year-old daughter to a situation like that? The amount of pain, the amount of whatever, whatever hurt is in that life, it brought them to that. And you frustrated that, which was amazing, but you paid the price. And so it's like, it's hard to see the other side of the coin. I remember, I remember before I started working with dual diagnosed clients and I'm working with like the mentally, like, like real yeah. challenged people, um, schizophrenia, those kind of things. I remember it, I was sitting in a, in a, in a group, I was, I was getting ready to run and we just heard about the aftermath of the, uh, the kid in Colorado that shot up the Batman movie, you know, theater. Yeah. And and then following that, there was another situation in Arizona, I think, where a kid came in and was shooting at, uh, you know, public figure. What was it? Like one of your congressmen, women or something. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I remember the therapist I was sitting with was sitting in this group of people who had the same diagnosis of these people. And she's like, how can you be mad at someone when they are, when they are mentally challenged? It's, I mean, we want them to pay for what they did. But when you boil it down, it's like, they're not normal. Normal people don't do that. And it hit me. I'm like, so many times I've made judgments because I want to be angry. I want to, I mean, yesterday, you know, it's the Sandy Hook, you know, uh, elementary shooting anniversary, 10 years. And I want to be upset and mad at those kids. But I'm thinking there's something not right there. And it's hard to have empathy with people that do such heinous things, but are we not the same? Right. I mean, Man. I've done it, you've done it. And, and those are things we'll have to live with, but it's like, it's, it's amazing the, the clarity that you see. It's almost like the addict is the modern day leper. And it's like, we're like, okay, we got to see both sides of this coin. I'm just curious why God showed you both sides of the coin and said, now make your judgment. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, it blows my mind because you do, you went from one extreme to the other. 
and it's it blows my mind that you're here to even talk about it. Man, I just feel I just feel blessed. You know, I, I I'm about to have my 11th year here, January 11th, and so I congratulations, I'm, man. Yeah, I just feel. And I don't think time, you know, I, I, I feel in addiction recovery, we put too much, we too, put too much stock on someone's time. I'll tell you what, the day I walked out of that, that room, that could have been, that could have been my 40th year. It wouldn't have mattered. It would, it would have felt the same. Yep. You know, yep. so I, I hate saying time. I don't, even I don't, like I don't, we don't count it either because I'm like, it's, it's your life. We don't, we don't, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to have X amount of time to prove to me that you're, sober, you know, and, and I just feel, I just feel blessed. I feel like I now have a voice that I can share. I have a story, man. I mean, I think God yeah. gave me this story. And then if I had to put it under a rock and hit it, then, oh, you know, what happens? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't have done what he was asking. And I, and I, and I feel just humbled by, by the grace that he gives me on a daily basis. Well, that's it. Turning the mess into the message. What's what's life like for you now? What's your message? What are you doing? I mean, like you said, you, you started this podcast and I've listened to a few of them. They're good. And that you can man. feel it. So like, what's what's the purpose now? What's your message? What do you what's the you now? You, my, my purpose now is so for the last five and a half years ago, I was I, for the last five and a half years, I was running a, a program. I was running uh, a drug and alcohol recovery program up in northern Arizona. And I, I, I since left that because I want to do more individualized teaching. I want to do kind of one-on-one. I, it was tough for me to, to teach in a big group setting, 25 guys, you have different levels of learners. Does that make sense? And so Been I want to, I want to, I want, yeah. And so I want to be, I want to, I want to take time and, and look at you in the eyes and I want to, I want to walk you through your addiction and help you because, because he did for me. And he's given me some skills and some, some amazing curriculum in my, and my brain that I'm now getting on paper to, to help men and women and we're continuously helping them. And so, so it works, you know, but, but anything works. Yeah. If you work it. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the key right there. Yeah. So we, that, that's it. That's it. We are just 100% involved in recovery on a daily basis we're podcasting. We just did a summit, um, and, and coaching. Yep. Awesome, man. Yeah. That's right in line with what team Addict to athletes doing. You know, the coolest thing is we've started this, uh, this program 10 years ago and it was designed just as an excuse for me to go running at lunchtime and see what we could do with the clients that didn't, that didn't have a, a good feeling or felt like they, the 12 steps would help them. And so we started this kind of out of necessity because in my community, that's all we had. And, you know, 11, you know, 10 years down, back now, we still have some of the original people that ran that wow. first race with me. And I'm thinking there's something about, like you said, that team, that pursuit, that, that uh, erasing and replacing and mess to message that really resonates with people. And, you know, I think there's no greater equalizer than someone that can get in and, and move from addict to athlete or addict to artist or whatever. And then say, yeah, you know, it's a part of me. It's not who I am. Um, you think you know who you are today? Do you think you know where you stand? I do. I do now. Perfect. You know, but but on a daily basis, I'm learning. Of course. You no, know, I I mean I'm on my third marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm still working on a relationship with my my five children. You know, because because in that act of addiction, you do some things that you you got to make right, uh-huh. and and no matter no matter how bad you want to make it right, it takes time. 
for sure. And so I'm working through just like everybody else on a daily basis, just trying to be the best human I possibly can. Right. Yeah. I mean, it shows, I can hear it in your voice. I, I, you know, I don't think that there's any, you know, coincidence that uh, we connected through GART. I think there's a reason for that. Um, and, and athletes, if you listen to what Brock's saying, I mean, it can absolutely happen to anybody, but the real amazing stuff is the, is the pivot points. I, I think of, I think of a few, just from the story you told me, the few pivot points I think stand out. It's, it's your, your, your misunderstanding of who these people are. It's then having the situation that happened, you know, with, with, with the accident and then putting yourself into that position of receiving, you know, the, the, you know, the pain pills and the addiction. It's the shutting of that mirror and saying, oh my gosh, I am the person that I never thought I would be. And now it's the comeback. And I think that that's the coolest part about all of this is that everyone has these hard parts in the middle of life. All of us do, but we all think that's the end. But in any book, the hard part is in the middle. And so we know this stuff always finishes strong. So this is the thing is you're just writing the rest of your chapters now. And so I'm, I'm with you. No one's too far gone. You know, like, you know, there's a reason for all of this. And so I don't know, man, just your, your, your mindset is, is, is clear. I love the message that you're sharing. And, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, what do you, what do you tell the, the, the guy who's like, yeah, but that's you, you know, that's you, that's not me. Like, you know, you had all this stuff and it's like, no man, addiction is a, is, a, is another equalizer that like consumes everybody. What do you tell that person that doubts he has the strength, the ability, or even the, 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 the support to do this? Make a, make a change. One, one little change a day, right? Like you, the problem is, is we don't take opportunities for growth, right? In, in our active addiction, we're just stuck. We're just sad. We're, we're lonely, Right. And if you could just take that one step towards somebody or or in a direction of self-improvement, it goes a long way, man. Like even just getting up and making your bed, that one win of the day that you didn't do the day before. And it's not these big things. People are looking for this this great job or I'm going to get a car. I'm going to get my license back. You know what? That stuff comes. But do one thing to improve you a day. And that, yeah. that's, I, I think for me, that's it, man. Just work on you. Stop worrying about other people. I love that. I love that. It does. It, it definitely, it definitely makes the comeback a lot stronger when you're, when you're not trying to do the whole thing at once, when you're, when you're taking those small steps. It's like when we train people to do, you know, marathons, we start them on the couch to 5k, which is, you know, running for 30 seconds, walking for 60. And they're like, but I feel like I can go further and faster. I'm like, mm-mm. <laughs> slow and steady and then all of a sudden they're they're they're, they're running marathons ultra marathons yeah. it's pretty amazing i'm gonna need help Brock, you have that. an amazing story man i'm yeah, telling you i thank you so much for 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 reaching out and i look forward to, to working with you in the future man i think again i don't think these things happen by coincidence brother no, i think sir. this stuff happens for a reason so that we can all be on that same team universally so I want to thank you for sharing your story. Uh, how do people get in contact with you? If they want to hear your podcast, they want to get to know your mission. What's the best way to, to, to reach you? Excellent. They can go to my podcast is on all the local channels at chase the vase. They can find us on the internet at www.chasethevase.com. And we just did a summit where you can listen to 34 other expert speakers at www.2020recoverysummit.com. Just awesome. people like us, man, getting on there and just talking recovery. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
had some amazing voices on there. That's, that's fantastic. You know, brother, again, thank you for being so candid and so open too. I think that, uh, you know, there's so much misrepresentation about who, who law enforcement is. And, and in this day and age, man, it, it helps to see that, you know what, guys, we're all human and, and we all do things that we're proud of and that we're not proud of, but we're people. And so if we start seeing those common lines instead of those dividing lines, man, change. Change can happen. So thank you so much, athletes. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, remember, check out our podcast, uh, all the networks, all the platforms. Um, give us a like review. I want to thank Radio Ronan, Junga, Josh, Spencer, and of course, Chandler for Radio Ronan hosting Addict Athlete on the Radio Ronan Network. And of course, we need to give a special shout out and thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers and those who have been donating to Team Addict to Athlete. You guys, I cannot give you enough thanks for being willing to to support the Patreon efforts and Team Addict to Athletes. So thank you guys so much. I want to give a special shout out and thanks to our super fans. They are Jerem Thurston, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, the Foster family, Chris Williams, and Brett Frew. And of course, our coach in Telluride, Colorado, Coach Tara. Thank you guys so much for being our super fan level donors. Our rookie level subscribers to Patreon, Josh Hansen, Kenny Roseman, Gary Thurston, Earl Dyer, and the entire Dyer family, let's be honest, you guys are rocking it. Uh, Coach Michelle Hansen and our, our man across the pond, Joe Jackson. Thank you guys so much for being rookie-level subscribers. And to our pro level, thank you so much, Selena. Selena, you are doing such great things with Team Out Athlete. Thank you so much for your heart and for all that you're doing. And, of course, our championship-level subscribers, the Robison family, Shad and Freya, and the whole Robison crew. Thank you so much, Team Robison, for being our championship-level subscriber. If you want to become a Patreon donor, jump on Addict to Athletes webpage or jump on patreon.com backslash addict to athlete and you can look and see the several tiers and uh, all the bonuses, all the all the merchandise and everything you get that accompanies the tier that you can select. Shoot, you can get all of our bonus material for $2 a month. This is stuff that uh, is released exclusively to all the Patreon subscribers. So thank you all so much. And until next time, athletes, go turn that mess into a very powerful message.